If you have your Bible this morning, you can begin opening it to the New Testament book of James. And we're beginning chapter three this morning as we continue through our summer series, Talk the Talk and Walk the Walk, what it means to live out in daily life following Christ as a believer here on planet earth. James chapter three, at least the beginning, is a particularly hard-hitting passage, and it is a passage that is often referred to by a phrase that shows up in this portion of the passage, taming the tongue. We will look this morning at what it means from scripture to tame or control our tongue. This is a, a, a lesson and a topic that hits pretty, uh, pretty close to home for me. Um, back in high school as a high school senior, um, I remember being a, what I thought at the time, a very jovial, fun-loving, outgoing, enjoyable senior, as we all think of ourselves. And I had a, a teacher, uh, one of my favorite teachers there at Covenant Christian School my senior year by the name of Tara Smith, and um, had an experience with her. She was my favorite teacher. She'd invested in me personally in many ways. And I thought that my sarcasm um, was very well appreciated by, by her and the staff. So I'd always come in, stop by, make a joke, and uh, you know, at least I was laughing. And um, over the course of time, I guess it began to be such an issue that she stopped me one day in the hall and she said, you know, I, I just need to tell you that your sarcasm really hurts me. And my jaw hit the floor. What do you mean? I thought I was the funniest person around. Haley, I'm sure you've had no experience with high school seniors along these lines. Um, I, I thought I was hilarious, and, and she came to inform me of the reality that the words that I was speaking, while funny to me, were hurtful to her. And this was particularly devastating to me because she meant a whole lot to me, but the words that I was speaking did not communicate that reality well at all. What we say uh, matters. Um, then my shock grew as she said, you know, not only is it me, but I've actually been having conversations with every single teacher in the high school about the way that you interact disrespectfully with them. My jaw went through the floor, right? If there were, if there were basements in Florida, it would be down there. Um, I had been a Christian at this point for maybe a year. I'm 17 years old, and um, the Holy Spirit was working in my heart. And, and what I got to experience for maybe one of the first times was this repentance thing. God convicted me over my sin. The way that I was talking while I thought it was funny was hurtful to the people around me, and I wanted to do something about it. And so uh, I, I had to really simmer on that for a couple days because, of course, initially I was offended and I wanted to blame everybody else. But I came to realize, no, no, this was, this was my problem. Uh, and so I went to each teacher, which was not an easy thing to do, but I went into each classroom and I apologized personally to that teacher. And I said, I'm sorry for what I've said. Please forgive me. And uh, I'm going to be working on that. I want to make sure that the words that I speak are encouraging and a blessing to those around me. It, it is interesting that the words that we speak most often will hurt the ones that we love and care about the most. You notice that? For some reason in our families, those people that we spend the most time with, we feel the most comfort to say things that will inevitably hurt the ones that we love the most. Um, how many marriages are crumbling because the words that we speak between spouses are, are of anger and criticism rather than of love? Uh, how many of us teenagers, if we're honest in the room, you know, we can cut it up with our friends and say really nice things to our friend, but behind closed doors, the way that we talk to our mom is awful, right? Or the way that we interact with our friends that, uh, that maybe we are actually really damaging relationships in our lives with our gossip or with our lying. Um, what if 
there was a better way to talk? Uh, what if there was a way to apply what the scripture says? What if there was a way to live out the gospel, the love of Jesus with our words? That's what James wants to talk to us about this morning. So let me read to us James chapter three. I'm going to read verses one through 10 this morning. Read along with me. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Let's take a word and let's pray, or let's take a moment and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Five ways this morning that God teaches us to use our tongue to uplift rather than to tear down. The first of these five is this. James says, teachers, be careful what you say. Teachers, be careful what you say. And we see this in verse one and two that I wanna read to us one more time. Listen to what James has for us. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. School is about to start. Any amens there? From the parents, maybe? From the kids? We'll see. Um, We are incredibly grateful for all of the public school teachers and Christian school teachers and homeschool moms and dads who are investing in their students, and we will be praying for you very much in the days ahead as you get back into the swing of things. Um, We're grateful for those of you here at New City that serve in those roles professionally uh, or in your home. Um, No one takes a professional teacher's job because they are trying to get rich, right? Right. They take the job because they desire to be a part of changing lives. Um, As a teacher, your words have the distinct power to speak life or to wreak havoc because you get many words, right? When you are in front of a, a classroom of students, you have the opportunity to speak many words to many sets of ears, Destruction or life. When I was in fourth grade, I had a teacher by the name of Dr. Dufay. I remember him as the worst teacher I have ever had. Um, I 
shocker, I know, had a problem talking um, too much in school growing up. It was a problem. Uh, I, I was constantly just chattering off in the background as the teacher was trying to teach. And Dr. DeFay took it upon himself one day to get in my face this close, scream as loud as he could with his stank, nasty coffee breath, and say to me, shut up. I was in fourth grade. Um, I did not hear a single word that that man said the rest of the year. Didn't matter to me. He had lost me. He had wounded me. Yes, I was wrong in my disrespectful chattering, but I, I, I never heard another word that he spoke. We have extreme power as teachers, as leaders, as coaches, as pastors to speak life or death into people's ears. Um, that's really all I remember about him, that and his floppy comb over. That's all I remember about him. There was no positive impact for me. Specifically, more specifically, what James is talk talking about is teachers or preachers, pastors, leaders within the church. Um, pray for me <laughs> as your pastor. Pray for our elders as we raise up elders, as we are teachers and leaders. Pray for those who teach in city kids and Tyler Town and neighborhood nursery. Lead in our city groups. There is a teaching role, a leadership role there, and our words are critical. James 1.26, we saw this a few weeks ago. James says, if you consider yourself religious and don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion is worthless. As we think about the Sunday morning environment, uh, the message is clear. For me, don't preach here Sunday morning and then go home this afternoon and rip apart my family. For you gathered around God's word here this morning, do not sit in God's presence under the teaching of his word this morning and then go home this afternoon and rip apart your family with your words. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says this, the Pharisees love the place of honor and love to be called rabbi or teacher. But you need to remember your true teacher is me, says Jesus. The application here is this, watch out for pastors, teachers, who love to use their platform in order to raise high their own name rather than the name of Jesus. There are many people in leadership roles within churches that got there out of their own insecurities and are looking to use you and the environment and the situation to make themselves feel better about themselves rather than being filled with their identity in Christ. And you will see it come out as they use the platform for themselves. Be discerning. Teachers and preachers, it says, will be held to a higher standard. And then James begins, even as he lays a high standard, he reminds us, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Uh, James is not saying that teachers or pastors are inherently more sinful. He's saying all of us must learn to control his or her tongue perfectly. But remember that no one except Jesus has ever actually accomplished that feat. We are all sinful and unable to fix this problem ourselves is, is where James is taking us. Number two, your little tongue, says James, has big power. We see this in verses three through five. Your little tongue has big power. Hear the scripture again, verses three through five. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James is saying, control your tongue or your tongue will control you. Small bits in a horse's mouth control the whole big horse. A small rudder controls the movement of a very big ship. A tiny three and a half inch phone screen can in many ways define and control what you say, how you interact, and what you do. But this is not worthy to lead your life, is it? A small tongue controls the whole person is the principle that James is beginning to unpack. But there's also an encouragement here. Control your tongue and you will make progress in controlling yourself. Control your tongue, control yourself. Win the battle for your tongue and watch how your life begins to change. Proverbs 18, 13 teaches us to control our tongues and listen before we speak. <clears throat> this is not scripture, but man, it is a good quote. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Got that one? But if we leave it here, if we just take the scripture to that point, then we have missed James' ultimate point because it is about your heart more than it is about your tongue. Jesus does not say, control the tongue and you will control all. This is what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 15, 18, and 19. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Jesus says it is your heart that ultimately controls your tongue and your life. The sin problem is not society out there. It's not what I saw out there or even what I read on my phone. The sin problem is in here. I cannot blame anyone else for what comes out of my mouth. It is my sin issue that I need help with. Now, is this a contradiction in scripture? Not at all. Take a look again at the two analogies that James just gave us. Who is it that controls the bit in the horse's mouth? The scripture says it's, it's the rider on the horse. And who controls the rudder of the ship? Well, the scripture says it's the pilot. What we need is a heart change that makes Jesus Lord, that makes Jesus the pilot in our lives, that makes Jesus the rider and the controller of the bit in our mouths. Right? On our own, no amount of self-control, no amount of behavior modification will ever be enough unless Jesus Christ has saved you of your sins and rules and reigns in your heart. Number three, your tongue is a fire. James is not pull punches. Your tongue is a fire. Remember, he is talking to believers here. Verses five and six. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The tongue, says James, is a fire that burns down forests. Uh, if you lived here back in 2006, you remember here in South Bavard County that we had a wild, crazy fire that burned 6,500 acres and closed schools for a week, uh, week and a half. As I remember, I was a teacher then, and we were not disappointed to get the week off of school. But uh, homes were in danger as it burned through the southern part of our county. 
Uh, how much more the Great Chicago Fire? Are you familiar with the Great Chicago Fire? Let me inform you. The last three days of October in 1871, 300 people were killed by the Great Chicago Fire. It was three miles of the city completely destroyed and 100,000 people left homeless. Legend says that it was Mrs. O'Leary's cow that kicked over a little lantern and started a little fire that burned down Chicago. The Bible says the tongue is set on fire by hell. What does that mean? It means that Satan would love to use the tongue of believers to tear down the people of God. Satan would love to use the tongue of believers to repel people in our city who do not yet know about Jesus. Satan would love to, to use you in that way. One piece of gossip or slander can destroy a church. One teacher who twists the word of God can pollute the message of the gospel. One self-righteous word can push someone away from the good news of Jesus. One lie can destroy a marriage. One abusive word from a parent can ruin the trajectory of a child's life. It sets on fire the entire course of life, says James. So I know we've got our kids in the room this morning. Kids, it is serious when you call your brother or sister a nasty name, when you speak down to them, when you use hurtful words. But the opposite is also true. When you speak words of encouragement, if you look at your brother and your sister today and you say, I'm so glad that you are a part of my family, how much would that mean to them? Complaining is serious. It is not uncommon at the dinner table, right? As kids that we sit down, or maybe adults, you look at the dinner that has been lovingly made for you, and you say what? Ew! Gross! What is that? I don't want to eat that. Instead of, you could say, Mom, Dad, can I pray for our meal today? Lord Jesus, thank you for this food. Thank you for my mom or dad who made it, paid for it. And thank you most of all that you sent Jesus to forgive me of my sins. A whole different thing. Thinking about harsh words, Ephesians 6.4, speaking to dad, says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Fathers, you have a unique role in the words that you speak over and into the lives of your children to either bless them or to curse them. Ephesians uses the word exasperate, which means you drive them crazy and push them away from God. If you're wondering why kids walk away from church in their faith, look no further. We have the power to speak love and transformation or devastation. Think about how God the Father talks about Jesus the Son in the transfiguration. God says of his son Jesus, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Those are the words that God the Father speaks over God the Son. What about arguments and manipulation? Proverbs 21.9, you know this one by heart? You should memorize it. It is better to live on the corner of the roof than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. No one is immune to quarreling, to 
excuse-making, to blame-shifting, to manipulating. But how much better is it when we take responsibility for our sins, knowing that we can take our sin to the cross and that we can come back to that person and say, I'm sorry for what I said. Please forgive me. And by the Holy Spirit's power, I am going to speak differently. How about the keyboard warriors among us? Those who love to type. And the words that we speak online to brothers and sisters in Christ or to total strangers are so reprehensible and offensive that who is going to listen to you when you seek to communicate the truths of the gospel? The answer to the rhetorical question is no one is going to listen. Perverse talk, coarse joking, cussing is displeasing to the Lord. And oh my God, oh my gosh, geez, Jesus, taking the name of the Lord in vain is so displeasing to God that it made his top 10 commandments on the do not do this list. It's the same list that says things like do not murder. It also says do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Let us think about the words that we are speaking. But here's the reality. Number four, you can't tame your tongue on your own. You cannot tame your tongue on your own. He says this in verses seven and eight. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, thanks for that word, pastor. I'm encouraged. What is James saying? He's saying that God's word is a mirror. It shows us our sin and it shows us the goodness and the grace and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If an animal doesn't follow a command, then the trainer pulls on the reins. And James' question is, who then can tame your tongue? You cannot do it alone, but Jesus can't. Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes hearts. Jesus changes tongues. It doesn't say here, no one can tame the tongue. It says no man, no human can tame the tongue. When I was 17 years old, I, again, had been a Christian for a year and a half. Um, I preached my first sermon as a part of a, a class. And the title of my very first little mini sermonette was this, Rebellion Reaps Reckoning righteousness reaps reward. You like my alliteration there? I get an A plus for alliteration. I get an F minus for gospel. Everything about my five-minute sermonette was do good stuff, be better. Do bad stuff, go to hell. I didn't understand the power and the breadth and the beauty of the gospel yet. This is what James is telling us. He is not saying do better and try harder. He is saying that on your own, you cannot fix yourself, but Jesus can, and Jesus does every single day. You can't do it. He can do it in you. How does that happen? When we humbly come before God to use James' word and admit, I'm a sinner and I cannot do this myself, he will graciously forgive us of our sin and make us new. 
Romans 6.23, any gospel conversation that I have with someone who who is at all interested, I want to walk them through Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wages, if you can imagine that we are on one side of a cliff and that God is on the other side of the cliff and this Grand Canyon in between, there is no way for us to get to God. Wages are payment, payment that is owed, payment that is deserved. And the Bible says that our payment for our sins, the bad things that we do, and sin is not a small thing. Sin is cosmic treason before the God of the universe. The payment for our sins is death, spiritual death, eternal death. But, but the gift, not a payment deserved or owed, a gift It is a free gift. The gift of who? Of God, the only one who can give it. The free gift of God is eternal life in a very real place called heaven. And that new life begins the moment that you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Because no amount of fixing your dialogue is going to save you. No amount of taming your tongue on its own is going to save you. Only the cross of Jesus Christ is big enough and wide enough and powerful enough to get us from one side of that cliff to the other side. Let's take it a step further. It's not even that you walk across the cliff. It's that Jesus, by his death on the cross, by his perfect life of never saying a bad word, in his kindness and grace and mercy, walked across the bridge of the cross, came and got you, kicking and screaming, and took you to his father, all an act of mercy and kindness and grace. Did you deserve it? No. Can you earn it? No. Can you do it yourself? No. Does Jesus offer it freely to you today, right now? Yes. Yes. And amen. You can't do it yourself, but Jesus saves So if you've never asked for that free gift, then let today be the day that you call out to Jesus and you say, I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Give me new life in Jesus. I want to live my life your way from now on instead of doing it my way. And Jesus will answer yes and amen. And if you're a believer this morning, do not get frustrated with your ongoing struggle with sin. Do not give up. Today is a new day in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make war against your sin by the power and the goodness of Jesus. Amen? Fifth and finally, James says, let your tongue bless rather than curse. Let your tongue bless rather than curse. And this makes sense to conclude James' thought here. This is in verses 9 and 10. With it, with our tongue, he says, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, My brothers, these things ought not to be so. In Christ, we can worship. We can raise a word of praise, raise a hallelujah. Psalm 34, one of my my favorite psalms says, I will bless, I will bless the Lord at all times. Well, how do I do that? It says, his praise will continually be in my mouth. And that is what he is inviting us to, to lift high the name of Jesus. Nothing changes us more than standing before the Lord in worship and lifting high his name. Even on the toughest days, we can sing praises to God and it will fill us with 
joy. But in Christ, not only can we, we praise God, we can, in Christ, build others up with encouragement. What's it like hanging around people that are just filled with the joy of the Lord? You notice the difference? People that speak words of kindness, that when you see them, you don't want to run in the other direction, but you are drawn to them because you know that they will encourage, they will point you to Jesus. If you are struggling, they will pray with you. If you are down, they will lift you up. They will spend time with you. They will listen to you. That is what the Bible is inviting us to be like, to spread a wildfire of blessing, to spread a wildfire of, of praise. The word evangelism means sharing the good news that our words would speak life and would, would speak the salvation and the good news of Jesus. Hear this final scripture from Ephesians 4, 29. We know it well. By God's grace, let's live it together. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Amen. Let's pray together.